Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And this first week of 2023 will be marked by the unveiling of the first, hopefully annual, All Harley Team. We're going to take a look back at 2022 on the positive side. Who inspired us? Who uplifted us? Who did we beam up that was special on this podcast? And those who make the cut will make the first, we hope, annual All Carly Team. Now we're going to start right off with the most quotable. And quotable members of the team who make it, well, they're a mixed bag. And I want to start with my girl, pro golfer Haley Davison. You see, she lives in Florida. And she had some choice words for a certain governor of Florida. It was, it was the day before the tournament I came, or right, it was like the week before the tournament I came in second at, um, which was like the, like two tournaments ago, it was a couple months ago. And uh, it was right after, I live in Florida, it was right after Ron DeSantis ruled that Leah Thomas wouldn't be the NCAA winner in Florida. It would be, you know, whoever came in second, uh, and and I eventually learned that I guess he grew up in Florida, so that was his whatever his idiocy behind it. Um, anyway, um, that my whole thought going into that tournament was all I thought in the back of my head was I just want to win this to give a big middle finger to Ron DeSantis and be like, <laughs> have fun trying to take this from me. One of Davidson's biggest fans, golf pro turned lawyer Maya Reddy. Now Reddy went to Penn for law school. Yeah, that Penn. Leah Thomas Penn. You know what I'm talking about. And when everybody was riding down on Leah Thomas around this time last year, Maya Reddy let people know she wasn't having it. Like, I'm so angry every time I see, um, like you were saying, for a really long time, it was a lot of um, right-wing news outlets that were covering Leah um, in vitriolic ways. Um, and that pissed me off because it was just like, dude, Leah just wants to swim. Next among the quotables, former Kansas State Representative Stephanie Byers, who dropped the hammer on many transphobes out there in Topeka. Sometimes it just gets so much you just can't, yeah, you can't deal with it in any other way but to be upfront and brutal. I, I'm still going to have to call my mom and apologize for one word I used in my testimony. Um, oh, I, that's not language I normally <laughs> use. Oh we, oh, we kept it in. And rounding out the quotables, Alejandra Caraballo, head of the Harvard Law School Cyber Law Project, who had the rant of the year against the peeping toms at the Daily Fail. Look at what the Daily Mail has been doing. The, the Daily Mail was sending a reporter to sit in the bushes in Florida to take pictures surreptitiously of college-age women in bathing suits. Perfs. Yes, in any other context, that would have just been creepy, perverted, and sick. But because they're doing it to go after trans bodies, somehow, like, that's okay? And, like, this, no, it's fucking creepy and it's sick. And now we move to the plays of the year. and. Transporter Room got to see some pretty good plays, but this group of three with a lot of athletes stood out. 
The first was a first. USA Cyclocross Nationals in December, the first non-binary division national championship ever, and the four athletes who took part in this history-making race. National champion Summer Newland, second place Christian Sunquist, third place Nan Watts, fourth place Sam Hansen. Congratulations to all of you. You make the all-Carly team. And by the way, Summer Newland, how does it feel to be a national champion? Feels pretty good. I've been Thank you, looking for a jersey for a long time, and it's great to see it in a category that is aligned with my gender it's, and with people that I really enjoy racing with. One day after that history was made, more history at that same event. Women's elite race, Austin Killips. She's trans. She's having a big year. She finished third on the podium. That was her goal, and she got it in a great race. And afterwards, she talked about her love of the community and her love of this sport. I care dearly about my, my competitors. I care about women's cycling and just trying to grow the sport, be a positive influence do what I can to bring resources and, and support. And rounding out the plays of the year definitely was the shot of the year. MVP Open Pro Disc Golf. Natalie Ryan, having a pretty good year, has a win already. Going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kristen Tatar, the reigning disc golf world champion. 11 wins on the season and 22 starts, but Natalie Ryan put up this beautiful shot, ricocheting off the rock wall. And that is what got her her second win, beating the champ. Second win of the season. What I think of the, the trans community that sports me behind my back and, and roots for me is you all are exactly why I do it. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have the drive to make everyone's lives better. Congratulations to all those who made the plays of the year. But you know what? There's no I in team. Definitely no I in all Carly team. You know, we have some. Serious collaboration going on, and we had some dynamic duos. He just had one last month. Leah Juliet, Miss USA candidate from Connecticut, and Breon Wynn, a Miss USA candidate from New Hampshire. Now, check this out. Juliet is non-binary. Wynn is a trans woman. Both are making history, and both are redefining pageantry. Since um, being involved in the organization, I think a lot of the harassment that I've gotten has been regarding my identity. Folks who are confused about how I can, you know, be in this organization as a, a candidate, Miss Stanford, but identify as non-binary. How could I use they, them pronouns? Am I taking away opportunities from people who do identify as women? And, um, and, and so people take out that... Uh, uncertainty and that misinformation that they're getting from the media and they take it out on, on things like my body saying that i'm fat saying that you know i i'm hideous or i'm ugly things that they that are really just easy uh critiques that they can make but i i think that they they do so because they they not only don't tolerate who i am but they don't understand who i am we are now opening the floodgates for so many more youth and not just for trans people, but for like Leah said, for ethnic backgrounds, for size backgrounds, for, for even financial backgrounds, those people are now gonna see, there was a woman who did not look like everyone else, who did not act like everyone else, who was not raised like everyone else. She broke through every single wall that was placed in front of her 
And now that I've broken through them, everyone else can come right behind me and we can fill this world with so much more love and so many more unique perspectives. And that's why I think at the end of the day, I have to think of the bigger mission. And I was proud to share a stage with the both of them in a benefit in Connecticut in December for the Colorado Healing Fund. The fund is providing aid to the families of the victims of the Club Q shooting in November. It was special to be a part of it. Leah Juliet put it together. Leah, thank you for letting me perform a little poetry there. And good luck to you and to Breon Wynn as you head down the pageant trail in 2023. Also among the dynamic duos were some people who collaborated with this show. They're contributors of mine. And it all began this summer when... I got Shauna Atkinson. She's a Cleveland Brown who gets down in the dog pound. You see, she was on the podcast to talk about those anti-trans bills in Ohio. And even before I had her, back in March, I had Chelsea Poe. Now, Chelsea Poe is an award-winning adult filmmaker who also knows a little something-something about some college football. You see, she is a huge, and I mean huge, University of Michigan fan. Don't believe me? Just ask her. Yeah, leaders and best and has beat Ohio for, I think it's been 800, 900 days since we've been beaten by Ohio. So it's going very good. You know, in August, had an idea. Let's bring them both together. And let's talk a little bit of football. We had a nice little college and pro football preview. Liked it so much, we did it again just before the conference championship games leading to the college football playoff. And we're going to have them one more time. Don't think they know football? Check it out. It would be nice to see Michigan winning the national championship, especially I mean, since... I'm, I'm realistic. Georgia's way better than everyone in the country. We always out sense and bet it. Everyone does, and you can't. Now, uh, I want to get a view from somebody in Ohio. Shauna? Well, I mean, how how's the move been in and around, for example... Where you are in Cleveland, what's the mood been in the state? Oh, it has been absolute. Every alarm is going off. Firing Coach Day has been at the top of most people's list. <laughs> uh, let's see, referring to him as the next John Cooper, I've seen that. <laughs> um, what? Frequent <laughs> comparison, mind you. It has not been great in Columbus. The in next Columbus. John Cooper? Yes, or, or the current John Cooper, depending on who you <laughs> And oh, some breaking news. Um, today is the Gridiron Girls draft. And with our first round pick, the Gridiron Girls select Jacqueline Cook, offensive line, Pittsburgh Passion. Favorite play, run it up the middle. Run up the middle, right off my ass. I don't know if I can say this on the podcast or not. You can, you can okay. say, uh, come on, we're adults here. Right. I'm, I'm 51 but, years old. I've heard it all. All right. <laughs> if you call this outside run play, if you call this like fancy thing, this reverse play, like, no, run it right at the gut. Run it right behind me. Let me just like get that energy in my stance like I'm a tank ready to fire. As soon as that quarterback calls the count, I'm unleashing as much as I can and just trying to put a hole all the way to the end zone. You're going to see Jacqueline on here. Jacqueline? You're, you're welcome. Come on in. Welcome to the Gridiron Girls. Can't wait to talk a little football with you as well going on down the line in 2023. There's a dynamic duo that 
was pretty close to my heart. You know, it's a duo that's based in probably the quirkiest sports town in America, Seattle, Washington. You know, there was a story in Out Sports about a softball player up there who took a little bit of exception to the gay softball World Series being held in Texas, as in Greg Abbott's Texas. You know, all those all that anti-trans stuff and anti-LGBTQ stuff. He's trying to ram through their legislature. Yeah, that guy. You know, there's a ball player up there named Brittany Miller. And Brittany can swing a stick pretty good. Uh, don't believe me? Just ask her. And look at her baseball card. Um, Average in the 540s, 36 home runs, and 400 at-bats this year. She cleans up play. Well, she founded a team last year, a softball team where affirming is the game right down to the name, the Puget Sound Pronouns. You heard that right, pronouns. And they got some cool uniforms. You know, they look like a good cross between those 1970s multicolored MLB uniforms and a current Nippon Pro Baseball uniform. And I had her and the team's PR head and a good friend of mine, Jerrica Moron, to talk about the concept. It just became this idea like, okay, we're going to create this space in ECSA, which is an LGBTQIA plus league. Um, and, you know, it's a gay league, but primarily it caters to gay men, to cis gay men, like a lot of these leagues do. And uh, I thought, you know, not only can we move up the division with a name like that, we can kind of challenge some standard conventions of the league and show that, show that. It doesn't have to be just for men and at these higher divisions. And so I've kind of had a chip on my shoulder throughout building the organization. And I think that's kind of helped make it a reality and, and make it the spot it is where people feel like, hey, this is, this is the team for everybody. I do want to emphasize that the landscape might be significantly darker than I have seen in my lifetime. But I don't consider that a sign of hopelessness because in those moments is when our community and our truest of allies galvanize to make change, right? This is how you get your stone wall. This is how you get act up Giants and Catholic churches, right? When the pressure is on, nobody fights as hard as our community. And they're not just a ball team. They're out there in the community. They did a collaboration with the Seattle Storm, and they had a dream of putting together a youth camp. And that dream became reality back in August. And I'm proud to say I helped out a little bit with that. I made a contribution, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the pronouns do in 2023. And one of those is in a tournament that a team from my own league, the Southern New England Friendship League, will be in. I'm telling you right now, I'm in training, and I'm and if we get a chance to meet the pronouns, I'm going to be ready, Brittany and Jerrica. Ring it. I'm thinking of a moment right now. In fact, I'm looking at it. In Des Moines. I'm Nora J.S. Reichardt for Local 5 News. We are Iowa. What was it like to do that stand-up and say that name? Oh, God. It, it was... It really was something I had just been, like, dreaming of. 
for for months after I had settled on the after I'd settled on the new name. There, there was about a list of a dozen I was working through at different points until I finally settled. What one of the wonders of being trans is us getting to have that experience of truly choosing our identity and who we want to be. And I I'm really happy with what I landed on. The All Carly team is pleased to announce that Nora Josephine Scott Reichardt will be the play-by-play voice of the All Carly team this season. She'll be paired with J.C. Cooper, providing color commentary. Look forward to hearing you do our games this coming season. And we also had some definite learning ones. We had some gray matter on this podcast, starting out with Sports governance expert, Dr. Roger Pilkey from the University of Colorado. Every time we have Dr. Roger or we quote Dr. Roger, it makes the show that much smarter. It's really, I think, unfortunate that, that in this or you know, any other area, that, that governance and rules and regulations are viewed through the lens of a single athlete. So I think from, from the outset, um, Leah Thomas has uh, followed all of the rules to the letter doesn't do anything wrong. Um, and it's fine if people want to debate and discuss rules, regulations, policies. Uh, but to put her at the center of it, um, I think, number one, is it's just improper. Um, there's plenty of time after the NCAA championships at any time to open up these issues and have a discussion. So the first thing is hard cases make for bad policy and bad regulation, especially when you're dealing with it in real time. Um, and let me say, you know, from my observations, there's certainly some people participating in the debate whose sole goal is to, is to get Leah Thomas out of the competition, which I think is unethical and improper for any athlete following the rules. Um, I do think the NCAA um, made a mistake in uh, all of a sudden in January saying they were going to change their rules um, and to defer to the national governing body for swimming. Um, and then there was a hierarchy. It was going to go to the, the International Federation, and if after that, to the 2015 IOC rules, um, there was no need to jump in. And, you know, the NCAA finally made the right decisions uh, and said, we're going to keep our existing rules in place. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of questions that can be raised about how the issue is addressed, which I think is completely separate from, um, you know, going forward under the new IOC fairness framework. Um, how do we implement rules um, that that are are fair that guarantee inclusion and, and protect athlete safety uh, plenty of room for discussion and debate there but to center it on one athlete uh, i think is improper we also called another doctor on the show dr joanna mellis she talks a great deal about sports thanks to the end of sport podcast where i was privileged to be a guest back in back in february well since i came on mellis's show she came right here to the transporter room to talk about some of the issues such as the trans inclusion issue, all the governing bodies getting spooked by Leah Thomas and Emily Bridges. And she had a lot of good things to say. There's been this long history of, of trying to control, first to exclude and then later to control the female athletes who were allowed to be in the, in the Olympic Games. And the IOC essentially begrudgingly allows women um, like in, in large numbers to participate in the Olympic games in the 1920s. And this is because Alice Milia and a few who was a French woman and a few other uh, sports enthusiasts, they started their own women's Olympic games. And then the IOC kind of said, hold on, we want a part of this pie. 
you know, we want to be able to make money off of this. We, <laughs> we, we want to be the ones to control it. And so um, to essentially avoid competition with this Women's Olympic Games, the IOC decides to fold in and expand their Olympic offerings to include women, right? So they did not do it in an attempt to be inclusive. They did it in order to avoid losing out. And, and so that is really the framework. So in my sport history classes that I've been teaching the last few years, that is kind of the fr one of the frameworks I've been using to sort of talk through that women's bodies have always been subject to exclusion and control and people trying to dictate who is a quote unquote real feminine woman and who is not. I see it as all along um, the same continuum of trying to control what kinds of women are allowed to participate in international sport. So initially, I mean, the fear has always been for a very, very long time that, that, that men are masquerading or hiding themselves and trying to pr present themselves as women in participating in sport. And I think that's a direct um, correlation to what we see now with, with Leah Thomas and with other, sorry, with the cisgender reactions to Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is not the issue. It's the cis people um, like myself who have the issue. We also, during the summer, Anna Freed was here. She's the chief technology correspondent for Axios. She is perhaps the only trans journalist in the world who is covering the Tokyo Olympics in 2021, boots on the ground in Japan. And she also started a special project last year called Letters for Trans Kids. It was a support campaign amid all the vitriol and all the systemic, I'm going to say it, violence that we saw against the trans community coming out of state legislatures in the last year. And I was quite pleased to get Julie Kliegman from Sports Illustrated. They've been doing a great deal of reporting. They get out there and they get after it. What the NCAA is doing is not universally beloved. It's not necessarily designed to prioritize inclusion like a number of advocates would prefer. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it just gets the message out there that you know, this fight for inclusion, for trans inclusion, isn't over. We strive to span the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. And in January last year, I got a hail from Maya Kalko Lorenzen. Now, Maya is based in Denmark. She is a cybersecurity consultant and has done some extensive research on online extremism. And her podcast, Cyber Norms, was looking at focus on anti-trans extremism and, you know, the things with the TERFs over there, you know, the and the pro-TERF media like in the UK. And she wanted to talk about sports. So she contacted me and interviewed me for, for her podcast. I was so interested in the project that I invited her to mine and she accepted and we beamed her up and we beamed up Nadia Jacobson, who's trans woman in Denmark, who is a volleyball player, someone who I've observed and I've observed her process on the court and off for some time. Well, I think it's 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 mul multiple things. So first of all, it's like the relentlessness and apparently like the complete lack of other things in their lives that these people have. It's like when they come at you, they just do not quit. And that can tire out everybody. And and I think a lot of it is also due to suck puppet accounts, but also these people do not have lives, a lot of them. <laughs> and of, often they also pretend to be more people than they really are. 
So you'll have one person who might have, especially on Twitter, like a couple of different sock puppet accounts. And they'll always say like, oh, well, I, I have to be anonymous because otherwise I'll get canceled for my opinions. And you're like, yeah, that's probably because your opinions are trash and hateful. As a trans person who plays the game and I'm looking at, um, and in fact, I'm looking at that old Tumblr and you biting into your metal right now. There you go. See, there's the proof. <laughs> there there's the proof no. trans women we get the job done um <laughs> what what are some things from your experience that you know about transness that cis people just completely get wrong oh be it in sport be it in life be it anywhere oh do, do we have all nice or <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they get so many things wrong. Um, what are some of the biggest that you see, just in your experience? That no, no, you got it all wrong here. Yeah. The, the first one is probably that. That's something uh, I guess all trans people here. It's just a choice. Yeah, you just chose to be transgender, yeah. and it's just that no, I definitely didn't choose it. The, the only choice I had to made was uh, to either kill myself or live as myself. That was the options. I, I didn't have any other options. If I hadn't come out and lived on myself, I would have killed myself. That, that, that's the point. And a lot of people simply don't get that because they see the whole world from a cis perspective. They don't see it from our perspective. That show was so nice that we did it twice. There was a forum for Copenhagen Pride that they were doing about a month later. I was invited to be a part of the virtual panel for that. And from there, I got a lot of Danish fans of the transporter room. That means that at some point, there's a trip to Copenhagen in my future. You can take that to the bank. And that's the Red Alert Klaxon. You know what that means. We got to take a break. We got to give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, more of the All Carly team, we're going to talk about hanging out. We're going to give a shout out to the fellas. And we're going to look at the headliners, the legends, what a front office would look like. And who's the MVP of this team anyway? All that to come and more. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room All Carly Team Special. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Transporter Room All Carly Team Special. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. And you know, we're not all serious here. We also like to just be cool, you know, chill, hang out. We had some pretty good hanging out moments. One of my favorites, February. We had Angel Flores on the show. Now, Angel Flores, power lifter, she's in Austin, Texas, and she was the subject of a queer eye makeover. For a trans person, especially to have not only the Fab Five, but also an entire crew of people come into your life and essentially invite you to invite them in, right? It's not, it's they, they don't walk into your life and say, you have to give us all of these authentic things immediately. They walk into your life and they not only befriend you, but they also try and make sure that you're comfortable the entire way through. So for the entire experience, it wasn't that I was 
being put on display or I was being forced to tell my story. It was, I'm inviting these people in to come tell my story for me, right? And my, I'm inviting these people in to come see who I am and to not only befriend me, but also to carry on my voice and the voice of the community to the world. On Trans Day of Visibility, Truck United FC, the official association football team of the Transporter Room, had a history-making game that night. They fielded an all-trans women's team to take on another team in the English 5th Division in a regulation game. This made probably world soccer history. Now, Truck United FC is the brainchild of Lucy Clark, who's a trailblazer in her own right. She is the first transgender person to become a referee in the FA system, probably the first to be a referee anywhere in the world. And since then, few others have joined the line in her sport, including our own Jacqueline Harper Grubb, who also makes the All Carly team. And also, she's becoming a roller derby athlete. I got the opportunity to ask Lucy Clark about, as a ref, how would you handle one of the most infamous moments? in the history of English football. Quick rules question here. The hand of God. How would Lucy Clark have called that? I'd have done a much better job than the match official on the day. It's, it's clearly handball. And when you're referee sometimes, and, and a little trick here for all players, any players that are listening, occasionally a referee might just delay a decision or make a decision on player on players' body language. And the fact Maradona turned around after punching the ball into the net, let's say it how it was, you can see he turned around and checked and looked at the ref to see if the goal was given. That's telling the referee it's handball. Mm. The referee should have gone <laughs> beep, hit the whistle, but he didn't. The referee failed. The ref, the, or, or, I mean, obviously we didn't have VAR there, but yeah, the, the, the match officials failed. As they do, it's a, it's a constant thing. Don't even get me started. England, we just have... We, not only is it turf, turf island, when it comes to football decisions at major World, World Cups, I mean, given a, apart from the goal in 66 that probably didn't cross the line um, fully, we've had so many bad decisions. At, you know, 86, we had bad decisions. We've had bad decisions. At, oh, we had the, the goal at um, South Africa where the ball was three foot over the line, not given. Frank Lambert, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we we just get we we constantly get bad decisions, but that that was one of the worst because we possibly could have gone on and won that World Cup. To be fair, and there was a hanging out moment I had to stay up for, but it was worth it. It was on election night. Got an opportunity to talk to newly elected Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr. Yep, as a representative elect. It kept me up till two in the morning Eastern, but it was worth it because Zoe got that W and I got to ask the burning question on my mind. Because you see, Zoe told me back in 2021 when we beamed her up that she potentially would be, not only would be the first transgender legislator in her state's history, she'd most likely be the first one to be a major anime fan. So I just had to ask. Let's say that they have cosplay day in the legislature in Helena. What cosplay would you do? 
Oh gosh, maybe Shikamori from Shikamori is not a cutie. I'm a sucker for like romance anime cosplays. I think they're unknown, but they're cute. They're cute as heck. Um, those are my answers. <laughs> well, Shikamori on the Lord of the Le that'd be kind of cool. That that would actually fly into Montana to like get video love <laughs> if you did that. It's the power, yeah. But but yeah, that's my. Those are my hot takes, and uh, we'll see how many. Uh, we'll see if I get anybody watching. You know, Greg convince Greg Gianforte to watch uh, uh, Evangelion or something. Um, <laughs> that would be a tough sell, I got to tell you. You know, one thing in talking about, especially inclusion in sport, which was a dominant issue in twenty twenty two. A lot of people say this. There's no caring about <clears throat> trans men. Well, to answer those naysayers, I just want to give a shout out to the fellas. Starting with brave kid at Oberlin College in Ohio. There's a kid named Lucas Draper, student at Oberlin, member of the swimming and diving team as a diver. And last January, when the whole Leah Thomas thing was exploding, Lucas Draper didn't like all the vitriol and wrote about it for swimming in an op-ed for Swimming World magazine. And Lucas got beamed up to talk about more of why he did what he did and what compelled him to speak out. When, when you go to a restaurant and they're like, what's your name? And I say, Lucas. And then they say, have a nice day, ma'am. And I'm like, how, how did you get that so wrong? Like, I don't know any female identifying people who have the name Lucas. I don't know if you do, but I haven't met any. What is competition for you like now? Um, it's, it's been fine mostly. Um, I'm still competing in a women's suit because I haven't had surgery, obviously. Um, I have, I had to get approval to compete in the incorrect in quotations suit because the the rules of swimming and well it's less applicable to diving and i don't necessarily know if i needed the approval for diving but i got the approval because at that point i was still swimming um or i was hoping i would continue to swim um but the rules for the suits state that the uh men's team suits cannot extend below the knee or above the waist which presents an issue so i needed to get approval from the ncaa to wear a women's suit in the men's events which i have um yeah so let me make sure i have this right the rules go that deep Yes. The rules go, I mean, I know that FINA's got definite rules, for example, on what sims, when swimsuits can be made of and how they can be shaped and make sure they're not giving you an aerodynamic advantage and those things. But if I, but if I understand it right, like, for example, a man cannot wear a suit that covers his chest. No. I want to read a quote to you from another trans man who's swimming in collegiate competition this season, Isaac Hennig over at Yale. And in an article during Pride Month for the New York Times, 
which in many ways was a public coming out for him. He said, quote, I value my contributions to the team and recognize that my boyhood doesn't hinge on whether there is more or less testosterone running through my veins. At least that's what I'll try to remember when I put on the women's swimsuit for competition and I'm reminded of a self I no longer feel attached to. In a sense, for your own process, was that kind, were you thinking along similar lines as you were deciding, okay, where does swimming fall for me? I would say so. I mean, it's something I've always worn, and so I'm kind of used to it. And yeah, it kind of sucks sometimes when people look at me and assume that I'm female because of the suit that I wear. It's very revealing. A basketball player can just put on a basketball jersey and off you go kind of thing. Swimming is very much your body is exposed. And so to not be able to, this is going to sound weird, but not be able to be exposed to the level that other male athletes are is kind of, it was, it, it's a little bit dysphoric, but it's not as dysphoric as I would, as you would kind of think it is because I'm so used to it. And I enjoy the sport enough that it doesn't make a huge difference. I would love to be able to compete. I mean, I would love to be able to have had surgery and compete in the, like the quote unquote correct suit. You can't shout out the fellas and not shout out Lane Ingram. He's the head coach of the transporter room. That's right. He's the coach. He's the head women's basketball coach at Lansing Community College in Michigan. And like Chelsea Pohl, big time Michigan fan. So, you know, he's got a lot of emotion invested in the college football playoffs right now. Well, Lane, during the fall, got the opportunity to be on Dr. Phil to talk about the whole matters of inclusion and give a trans perspective on it. And they don't come any better or classier than Coach Ingram. Just from a coach standpoint, parent standpoint, yeah. what are you seeing in, the, in this debate right now? I mean, I'll give you a perfect example right now. You know, you pumped me up in the opening and, and talked about how I'm going on Dr. Phil. And so on my podcast Facebook, I put a post up there. I said, you know, this Friday I'll be talking about trans athletes. And right away I get a comment from somebody that's like, I disagree with you. There's a, there's a lot of transgender high school athletes that are taking opportunities away from students and scholarships away. And my first response was define a lot. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, when I, when I went on the show, one thing I can share with you is I tried to impress upon them. Like you're talking about a problem that doesn't exist. And the things that we do as adults, the decisions that we make to make things harder for people, it trickles all the way down to the kids because what are they supposed to do? And then it's further tied together when there's legislation that says we're banning the health care that you need. And so the real message is we just don't want you here. That's what I'm seeing. During the summer, we had a show where we brought in two dudes who are big on sports, big on inclusion, and they're big on speaking out. One was Verity Carl Smith, wheelchair rugby player for the Leeds Rhinos. 
Rhino's had another successful year, and Verity is doing some things on the field and doing a great deal more off of it. Smith's part in an effort to match kids who are looking to play, who are transgender nonconforming, with clubs who will take them in in the UK. And Smith is making an impact. I'm the Trans Inclusion in Sports Manager for Mermaids and I cover the whole of the UK. So my job is to break down barriers to make sure there's policies in place for trans people, non-binary people, make sure there's places where young people can go for sports. One of the most heartbreaking things we're hearing at the moment is nine-year-olds being banned from swimming um, because of the recent FINA announcement. We've had a 14-year-old um, being banned from playing rugby union in the UK. We've had children and parents e emailing in because they've been told they can't do school sports day in the gender that they identify as. These are just children. And I got an email the other week and it said, I've seen football and tennis on TV. It looks fun. Am I allowed to play for fun because I'm trans? And these are things that we get are where's safe to go. So it shouldn't be where's safe, it's how do I get you involved? So I reach out to sports organizations, I deliver talks, I go to conferences just to make sure that they actually meet a trans person and with lived experience. And one of the biggest things that I've been working on just recently is um, trans inclusion in sports training for grassroots sports. So part of it is what is trans? Because a lot of these questions, people don't even know that before they even go into sports. And then the other part of it, what is the legal aspects of that? So what's the Equality Act? What's data protection? What is um, safeguarding around name changes? How do we work within local clubs, whether that's a coach, whether that's admin, a volunteer, parents, just to make sure that we're all there, we all know what's happening to support anybody that may turn up at that club or within that sport at any one time. And we had one of the coolest people I've had the chance to interview, Ness Murby. Canadian Paralympian, who is proud husband, proud father, proud trans man, and has his eyes firmly set on the Paralympics in Paris in 2024. And he says he'll be there, and I wouldn't bet against him. I believe I do have a shot. It will take time and work, and that's what I'm doing. But hearing people discard me, um, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's part of what I do when I show up. I show up to advocate, to show that we belong, to show that we exist because trans men do exist and we exist in sport. And, you know, if I have to keep talent transferring because they keep blocking trans athletes in sport, I will. I've done that as a blind athlete. I will do it as a trans athlete and I will fight my way to the podium as as a point to show up for everyone else. Erasure is harmful. And you don't notice more than three people standing on the podium at any medal ceremony. So it has nothing to do with whether we're trans, trans enough on that podium. We're humans, we're individuals. And you need everyone in the sport to be able to have three people on the podium. And I wish that um, the world, that, that, that sporting organizations would recognize what they ask of us. They ask us to, to pour our souls into sport and then they constantly feed us the narrative that we're not good enough. And as a trans man, I am certainly pushing back against that. In September, Netflix had the debut of an important documentary. And if you haven't watched it, you should. It is on Leo Baker. 
Now, Olympic skateboarder on the fast track for Tokyo in 2021. But Baker was also looking deep inside himself saying, it's time for me to be me. Baker eschewed the Olympics to forge his transition. The documentary looked at the thought process. It was a very deep emotional dive about how sports, transness, and finding identity can converge and and find a medium and find a way to work together. Baker was beamed up and talked more about what led him to decide what he decided. I got to a point in my life where I always just was like, I'm just going to follow my gut. And a lot of people throughout my life have been like questioning some decisions I've made because people haven't really gone those routes. But this was the most extreme version of that. And it just is what felt right to me to do. So I don't have a whole lot of like reflection on it, although I do know that like the moment I made that decision that it was the best for me and for people to recognize like the courage that it took to like go the opposite way of what everybody is telling me to do. It's just nice to be seen in that way. And so I really appreciate the people around me. Having to compete at the highest level possible, shot at the Olympics on the line. When you were competing prior to transition, if you did compartmentalize, how did you manage to do it? And where did it get hard? I mean, early on, it wasn't super difficult, like early mid 20s, just because everything was kind of like convoluted and there wasn't a lot of clarity around what I needed to do. But as it got, you know, more clear, um, I mean, it was getting more clear at the same time, like the Olympic hype was like rising. So I was just like, I mean, it was not real. I didn't really, I wasn't able to really compartmentalize it. Like I'd go out there and just be honestly miserable and then just like, can't wait to get home and like not go outside for a long time, you know, and just be like, you know, when I'm alone, I don't have to fucking explain myself. During Trans Visibility Week leading up to Trans Day of Remembrance, Patricio Manuel honored us with his presence and his story. How do you go through that process of figuring out, okay, if you do, again, if you do it, what, what memories do I keep? What memories do I take with me? What translates? What doesn't? How do you reconcile that past to the present to move forward in the, into the future? I mean, for me, I don't feel there is any reconciliation between that past. You know, my normal when people ask like, oh, how do you identify? And I'm like, I identify as a man who is trans. That is part of my history. That is part of who I am. And I mean, let's, for me, if I'm honest, I would not be the man I am today if I hadn't gone through everything that I had gone through before. And I like myself so much, even if it, this, it would be way easier, <laughs> even if my everything probably in terms of what I wanted in life would be way easier if, you know, I'd come out and that doctor had said, you're a boy, then we got a boy. And then, you know, I was reared and conditioned as a boy who would grow up into a man. I like myself so much that I'm like, it's not worth it. Like, I know for a fact my unique experiences. And that's why I like the saying um, consciously constructed versus self made. Um, because I didn't make, um, I didn't make 
any of these rules that life would give me in terms of who I am. Um, but I get to consciously choose who I get to be. The full interviews for all of them in the liner notes. Check this group of interviews out. Trans men are often left out of a lot of the discussions. These are voices that should be heard. We also had an opportunity to get some legends. And one of them is in a sport that I love, cycling. Molly Cameron, legend, folk hero, and a person who, who says they're a quiet trans activist. Well, if they're quiet, it's the loudest silence you ever heard because Cameron is getting things done and getting things done in cycling in a lot of ways. And I saw that at, I saw that at the Cyclocross Nationals. She's been cited as a role model to many. And it was great to have this role model, folk hero, legend here. Two years. One of the first conversations I had with USA Cycling's previous CEO you know, eventually when all this trans stuff was happening in Arkansas, he called me up, the world champs, well, you know, like just, it was a friendly call. I just wanted to, I hadn't really talked to him in his tenure at all. And then I was like, look, kind of to this defend your regulation. You already have policies and rules and you have had these rules for decades regarding transgender participation. Why don't I fly to Colorado Springs? Hell, I can produce and edit a video and it could just be me it doesn't even have to be me but a transgender athlete who's a uci and usa cycling member and a member of your staff and we could just do a video and we can just explain the rules they already exist and then that will serve to like help educate the community that needs it needs to see it we'll put it on youtube you can post it up on your website all we're doing is explain the rules that are buried in your rule book in your policies for trans participation and that will also help to like you said have the org stand up and say you know it would benefit them to be like hey we do include people we want to be inclusive and then that shows the you know the trans exclusive radical feminists and you know the turfs and the the transphobes out there that are actively lobbying against trans people in their lives and would say no usa cycling actually wants us here and wants us participating and here are the guidelines for the participation it's pretty simple and like they wouldn't even do that so brands are so afraid because this is still so politicized they're paralyzed paralyzed and that is like consistent throughout the cycling industry and sport as in the last year or two, as I've been working with more kind of general outdoor industry stuff, like whether it's like rock climbing or just outdoorsy stuff, snow sports, like those industries are kind of like five years ahead of us. It's really wild. And talking to a lot of advocates and activists and policymakers that were in, have been in the outdoor industry, and there's a hell of a lot of like women of color and queers. Um, they're like yeah this was the outdoor industry and the snow sports industry and like rock climbing like five years ago and then like there's still a ton of work to do but you know cycling it needs to kind of get caught up where this stuff isn't political during the summer we also got savannah burton here now savannah burton is an actress in canada her story to some when we're talking about inclusion is quite well known it was great to 
bring that story to bring her here to tell that story and also introduce it to people that may not have heard it. People are just open and friendly and they've been incredibly accepting towards me. Like I, uh, I guess I did kind of have a reputation playing before um, where I did do a lot of traveling. I would met a lot of people and, and I guess people had respect, a lot of respect for my game and me as a person. So I think that certainly helped. But uh, when I did tra uh, transition, come back to dodgeball, there was, there was no rules in place. There was no uh, idea of what to do with me uh, or how to accept me. And, and it just came, all, came along where, where I was accepted. Um, they had the right rules, I guess, in place to be, to for trans athletes. Um, but you know, one of the things about being in a team sport and being uh, on Team Canada was I, you couldn't win your way on there. You had to be selected. So actually, being selected by a selection committee, uh, being out as a trans woman in 2015 was. Like, I didn't know what my chances were. I knew I did well in the tryout, but how is that going to play with respect to people's ideas of if I was eligible to play or if I was going to, if they were going to select the team? So um, it was kind of surprising and kind of wasn't surprising. I was really, I was so glad to get the call. And there's always room for Stephanie Helms, friend of the show. Sail, and there's always good for a competitive sailor, Stephanie Helms, friend of the show, and getting a lot of things done so that her sport at all levels doesn't fall into the trap others have. World Sailing calls you and says, Stephanie, we don't want, we're not going to call Ross Tucker. We're not going to call the bug lady. We're calling you. What should inclusion look like for our sport? I am speaking now just for myself. Yeah, exactly. We made you the czar of world sailing. I believe, I believe that, as I said earlier, that sailing is a very equipment-dependent sport. Um, you're not going to but let's get back to principle five i think there's no presumption of advantage there is we've done actual studies on collegiate sailing it for, for three years prior to 2019 you know when after 2019 the whole thing collapsed because COVID. but we've looked at the uh, average win percentage of guys versus girls in collegiate sailing, there's no advantage to having a guy on the boat. It's not, it's, it's not a gendered sport. It really shouldn't be a gendered sport. So therefore, if you were to ask me about the sport of sailing, and I won't speak for any other discipline, any other sport, I mean, you could make presumptions for archery or skeet shooting, for example. Uh, but it's such an equipment-dependent sport, I don't, I, I think uh, self-ID would be fine. Now, in February, we also gave a cheer for dear old Iowa. 
Kyla Peterson is an activist, works in some politics in Iowa, but in high school, she was among the first transgender students to be eligible to play school sports in Iowa. And that means a lot when you look at Iowa's history in women's sports. Kyla Peterson was given the okay to play from the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union, the oldest confederation dedicated to sports for women and girls in our country and potentially in the world. And we beamed up Kyla to talk about what happened then and to talk about how she's speaking out now. At the time, Iowa was looking at one of those anti-trans bills, a bill, unfortunately, that Governor Kim Reynolds signed. Well, you know, it really, it's really bad. I mean, I mean, the athletic uh, association is like, they've done so much to growing the sports that, that, that are under their, their association. I mean, like you said, women's basketball is becoming way more popular in Iowa. I mean, we have from, from Caitlin Clark to Ashley Jones. I mean, they're all doing amazing job. <laughs> and, you know, they, they came from local Iowa City high schools. The bottom line is that, is that when, when they're attacking the, the, the very institution that has, de- has been dedicated to growing women's sports and keeping it uh, a good place for, for young girls to not only just succeed in athletics, but succeed in their whole careers. I mean, these, you learn a lot of life lessons when playing sports. And that's what, that's what they're attacking. They're attacking the right, right to, to, to having success in your life. Earlier, we told you about Natalie Ryan and the great year she had in professional disc golf. Of course, the PDGA is trying to make it so that Natalie Ryan won't have a 2023. But Ryan isn't taking it lying down. She's threatening legal action. Want to know more about that? Stay tuned. We'll be following it. But the day of her triumph at the MVP Open, among those who are close to her, watching intensely, was Kelly Jenkins. Kelly Jenkins made disc golf history in 2014. She became the first regular competitor on the tour who is trans. And for Kelly to see one of hers, one of ours, get a victory, it was huge for her. I was there in purpose. And and my heart was pounding so loud that I'm sure everybody beside me was hearing it. Uh, Natalie is one of the people that her game in disc golf is driven through practice and talent from doing other sports and cross training. And coming into that final hole against Kristen Tatar, I was holding my breath every single throw because... It, it's got to be nearly impossible to beat the world champion in a playoff. And the other thing I was holding my breath for was how is the crowd going to react when Natalie wins this? Because I had a sneaky feeling going into the playoff because I'd watched Natalie on the 18th hole before the playoff barely miss her drive. She clicked one branch on a tree, one stem, 
And it slowed her disc down just enough. And I thought, she's not going to do that again. And she's going to pipe her drive. And as soon as I saw her drive, I'm like, yeah, Natalie, you overcame it. And then I started focusing on, is the crowd going to cheer her on? And by George, they did. It was a raucous occasion when she hit that putt. It really was. And I was so proud of her. And it just, it brought to fruition a lot of the work that I have put into this sport to watch a sister of mine accomplish this. Now, if we're going to be an all-Carly team, who's going to be the front? Now, if we're going to be a serious competitive franchise, the all-Carly team, we're going to need a good front office. So for starters, general manager, we're going to get Bethany Kurtmus. Now, Kurtmus was beamed up to the transporter room over the summer. At the time, she was trying to reorganize the soccer team she played for in Austin, Texas. Now, her story, interesting. Trans woman who got an opportunity to play overseas, then came back over here, found a team to play for. The team was successful. They had a great coach, but they had a rather unscrupulous owner who basically undercut the team, underpaid people or didn't pay people, and left holding the bag. And the team was left without a place to play and without a team. So Kurtmus got together with some others. And from the ashes rose the Austin Rise. They're going to be playing this coming year. And we figure if she can do that, she can do this. Personally, it has been a bit difficult living in in Austin with the state laws that have passed over the last couple of years. Uh, not just for transgender individuals, but there's a, a number across the board. That it, that is really hard. Um, like, do we know if we're going to be able to live in this state long term? I just I genuinely don't know at the moment. But I do know that this is where we live. And I also know that whether or not trans kids are allowed to get any support uh, medically, that they still need they still need to see people out there. They still need to see uh, people that can be an inspiration and be a role model. And when I started training to play semi-pro and pro soccer uh, five years ago now, I mean, I've been playing for 30 years since I was four. But when I really started training to go to the next level, I did it for two reasons. One reason was to push myself to be the best athlete I could be. And the second reason was to be out there as a trans person and trying to hide us and not be visible at all. I just, I don't agree with that. So I'm just going to keep being me uh, and take the opportunities I can. And hopefully it can pave the way for, uh, for people down the road. Congratulations, Bethany. You're going to be our GM and good luck this season. We're going to need some PR directors. Yeah, I said directors. We're going to have two of them. One will be the head of football versus transphobia over in the UK, Natalie Washington was also a midfielder for Truck United FC. We beamed her up in April to talk about how her efforts are making a difference. Um, you know, people should be able to referee games regardless of gender. It doesn't matter. You know, there's no rules around what gender you have to be to referee a certain gender of football match. All of that kind of stuff. So a lot of our campaign is is around all that kind of thing because that's the vast, vast majority of people enjoying football are doing it that way they're not elite sports people 
but it's also been cognizant of the fact that if if trans women are not women at the top level of the sport, then trans women are probably not going to be women at every other level of the sport because sport has a tendency to take stuff from the top and just filter it down. So we have to get that right. Um, and at the moment, I think generally we are, that there's work to do. But like I said, at the moment, it's just about making sure that working with as many stakeholders as possible to build a coalition that we have that strength, that, it, that, that it's not going to backslide. Where do you see that coalition right now? Where would you like it to go in the years ahead? Yes, I mean, my experience generally has been that it's the desire to be inclusive. So the women's game in this country, and I think it's the same for a lot of countries, women's game in this country tends to be naturally more inclusive anyway. Um, it's not perfect in any regard. You know, obviously there's been high-profile incidences of racism, for example, in the women's game in this country, so far from perfect. But it's generally better than the men's game in terms of wanting to be inclusive because it's always about growing the game and growing participation, whereas a lot of people in the men's game are focused on sporting success or growing revenue and that kind of thing. So that's a huge generalism, but you know, that, that's a bit more what it's about. So I feel you know, generally when I work in whatever gender game, actually, I generally feel like people care about making football a good place for trans people. There's a lot of really fantastic people working in football inclusion that are really passionate about making sure that it's a good place. So I feel quite positive about that and there's lots of good work going on. The other PR director will be the head of the Southern Scoop and its founder, Brittany Lofthouse. Now, Lofthouse is a journalist in small town, North Carolina, who got wind of an interesting story in Highlands, North Carolina. And it was just a nondescript early season girls volleyball game at the high school level where a very skilled player hit a spike so hard that it injured a player on the other team. Now, this happens in, happens in high school volleyball from time to time. That's the game. But apparently, um, one journalist at the outlet and someone on the school board tried to float a rumor out there saying that the kid who made that spike is trans. Next thing you know, it's all over the anti-trans media, media sphere. It's all over the outkicks and the Breitbarts and so on and so forth. But Brittany Lofthouse wasn't having it. The amount of negative or the amount of of questioning whether or not I can I can I think someone told me I need to go to journalism school. Like I, like that was one of the comments that some fake Facebook that was created to troll me about this was. Um, I think that it's not going to change anything that I do other than to ensure that I continue to do it because it needs to be done. Every time I read an article that calls that player transgender, affirmatively, not allegedly transgendered, not rumors transgendered, just says a trans, even like a transgender player or even a, a player that who is biologically male, because I keep reading that. Every time I read that, it reminds me why I do what I do. Because there isn't, there isn't, it, you cannot accurately and factually say that. You just cannot. It does not matter how many times you've read it. It does not matter if you send me a link to Fox News or MSN or the New York Post, who are all quoting the origin story, which goes back to the Education First Alliance, which is a far-right uh, blog or, or group or organization. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where what, what you're 
how many you quote say, well, this, this newspaper says it's transgender, this person says it's a biological male, this one says, and that's great, but can any of them tell you where, how they know that, where they know that, or confirm that they know that? They don't, they just say it. I can tell you the sky's blue all day long. All, I can look at it and tell you it's blue all day long. But if somebody says that it's red, does that make them right? It, just because they say it, it doesn't mean it's true, and it just doesn't. And that, that holds true for journalism. It holds true for, for any, any sort of reporting. And they, it just, there's, no, there's no way that anybody can say that. Once again, about that story, the, the school board has not in any way, shape, or form identified any of the kids involved. The, the High School Activities Association in North Carolina has also neither confirmed anything about these kids. In fact, according to Lofthouse, they didn't know much about the information either. This kid's status, how they identify, has not been disclosed, and really, it's secondary. The point is, you don't put rumors out there and say that they're facts if you don't know if they're facts or not. That's the type of person we want handling our media. So, Brittany, congratulations. And Natalie, congratulations. We already named the head coach of the All-Carly team. You know and I know it's going to be Lane Ingram. But Lane, you get an assistant. And the assistant is a good friend of mine who is riding my wing in one of the biggest, scariest, but also most beautiful moments of my life. Kamora Harrington, you're on the All-Carly team. As we're looking at what this wokeness is, we can't, we can't cut everyone out. We can't. We've got to figure out like that weird old black way. That's that's cousin Joe. He got some stuff, but we love him and we need him because because out of many one, because I am one, because you know I am because we are. And that's that, right. Like, that's right. There we, we go. We gotta stop discussing this Ubuntu stuff, but then on our day to day, refuse to practice it. And you know, analytics. Yes, it's a thing. So we need some people that know how to crunch some numbers and know how to look through to find the things that are really there. So with that in mind, we've got four analytics people. Joanna Harper, you're going to be on the analytics team. Maya Kalka Lorenzen, you are. And also two other people who we beamed up who had a lot to say about decoding all the legislation, decoding all the things that you're hearing from like the anti-trans running gun media out there. So Aaron Reed, you and the HRT map, you're going to make this team and a counterpart of yours from the UK, Mallory Moore, you're on it too. So we've got general manager, PR, head coach, analytics section, someone to throw out the first ball for the first game. Think of some trivia questions for the Jumbotron. Who is Amy Schneider? Oh, that was that was extremely cool. Yeah. I mean, just walking on that field and like, you know, looking up from from the field level, which I'd I'd never done. I went, you know, to to Reds games all the time as a as a kid in old Riverfront Stadium. And they would have things occasionally where kids could like come on the field before the game. And I always wanted to go. And for whatever reason, we never made it down there. So I'd, I'd never just had that, that, you know, that perspective, that view of a stadium like that. So that was, that was just cool by itself. 
And then, yeah, walking out there, standing on the mound, you know, it was it was really fun. And and my pitch went OK. I'd, I'd done better in practice. I, I can throw a strike, you know, one out of three times. Who gets to wear the C on their gear? Who are my captains? Well, I chose five. The first, Lucas Draper. For what you did, you're a captain. Followed by somebody who will be great in our locker room. Someone who's been there, done that, and has lived to tell the tale. One of our favorite people from down under, Caroline Late. You're in here too. Then we need somebody who has that little streak of competitive arrogance that every team needs. Dr. Juniper Simonis, this is where you shine. Three-time roller derby world champion, and she'll tell you about it. Also riding the sea on her gear is somebody who I couldn't wait to meet and was excited to meet and excited to talk about and talk to. Alana McLaughlin, you're one of our captains. Getting to meet Alana was one of those moments where I'll admit I was speechless for a minute. The other one happened when I was a- had the opportunity to beam up somebody who I was waiting for and waiting for and tried to get everywhere I could, and it finally happened. Dr. Veronica Ivy. I am a firm believer that trans flags should be creased and crumpled. They should not be ironed. I'm a firm believer of that, right? They are, they are a symbol of, of um, sort of courage and grit and going places that were people don't want us, right? That they've got to be stowed away, that they're kept in pockets, right? They should be, they should be creased. So she hands it to me. And yeah, as far as I know, that's the first time a trans flag has flown at a cycling event. So this team has a lot of great people on it. We have a front office. We have captains. And we have an MVP. From the way she entered. This isn't the most Eisley Cantina. What the heck? (laughs) (laughs) To her story. Um, they've done so much for me. I had my team captain of my field hockey team drive me to my um, appointment to get bottom surgery in Philadelphia, seven hours away, stay with me in the hotel, and then two more team captains coming and picking me up, driving me back, and taking care of me like every other day. And they didn't have to. No, like no one was requiring them to, but they were doing it because they were like, Erica, you're our teammate. To her views, which she shared right alongside resident badass, Dr. Juniper Simonis. You don't need to be conspiratorial in your thinking. All you need to do is look at the timing of when when policies come out. They don't come out, they don't come out, they don't come out, they don't come out. Oh, somebody's trans, they come out. It is reactionary to these moments. Um, And it's reactionary because, you know, all of these things, what nobody really wants to acknowledge is all these things are businesses. Business, bottom line, is to make money. And how do you make money? You You reduce the amount of complaints that you have or think you have. And when you only focus on a very small vocal minority, because I can confirm, I've never in my entire time playing both NCAA Division III lacrosse and playing on a field hockey team at school have had a complaint by a teammate or by another team I've been playing because 
like the vast majority of players either don't care or they're actually inclusion or inclusive with it because like you were saying a, a little bit earlier about how do we reach the younger generation this new generation coming up they all like are aware of this kind of stuff and a lot of people have in my experience are very supportive especially compared to like our generation being millennials not like they're kind of in in the weird wishy-washy um but what these policies do is they add this bureaucratic level of difficulty of having to prove all this and what people for anyone out there like having a deadpool fourth wall moment for any listener out there that's like oh hey this doesn't really affect me or i may know somebody but i just like i'm just an athletic trainer or i'm just an administrator for a program or a coach guess what it affects you too because your athlete's going to come in and they're not going to have any idea how to do any of this and your job is going to have to do the footwork on looking up the policy figuring out how to comply with the policy figuring out how to work with your athlete who maybe they're younger 18. how many 18 year olds know their entire medical history how many 18 year olds know how to access that congratulations to my friend and all carly team mvp erica smith i can't wait to see what you do in 2023 and I want to give a thanks to all those who've been a part of Transporter Room Nation in this last year. All those who've taken their little bit of time to be beamed up and shared a piece of their thoughts and their feelings. And thanks to all of you who've listened to us, who've downloaded us. Thanks. It means a lot. And there's more to come in this new year. And if there's someone you want to see, something you want to see, or something you want to say about what I'm doing, please leave a message on our Twitter page, our Facebook page, or our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember, everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and study as she goes. We'll catch you next week and Happy New Year.